Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. For 25 years, Jem Krukel has been writing books, 10 of them, keynote speaking, over 150 events, and building a successful lifestyle business as a marketing entrepreneur. Until 2020, when a near-death colon cancer diagnosis convinced him to throw away his marketing career and write a one-man show that inspires and changes people's lives. Jim, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And it's two one-man shows. I just started the third one. Oh, my God. Okay. We we might have to dive into those. But your cancer diagnosis was extremely recent. So can you take us back to the beginning? and, And, you know, did you have any obvious signs or symptoms? Well, yeah. I mean, it was... Right when COVID started, March. Great, started. great timing, by the way. Yeah, perfect timing. <laughs> well, actually, I got a joke about that, but I'll get okay. to um, Okay. When COVID started, I started to have some super digestive issues. And what do you do when stress happens? You say, it's stress. Maybe I have COVID. Maybe I have COVID stress. So it just complicated more and more, worse and worse by month, by month, by month. And you know, was it six months later by August, my wife was like, you should probably go get checked out. Right. Now, Um, what do you mean by digestive issues? Well, I mean, that's just what it sounds like, you know, you know, it's your bathroom, to the bathroom a lot. Diarrhea. Yes. It's, it's not pretty. Were you Um, losing, gaining weight, bloating? Here's the crazy part about, I'm a pretty big man. Um, overweight is the better way to say it. Uh, but I had not lost any weight or I didn't lose any appetite and I was a little bit nauseous, but it was, so I thought it was just, you know, I thought it was celiac's disease, right? Mm, or, okay. But I all of a sudden became allergic to wheat germ or whatever, you know, or, right. or I had Lyme disease. All that changed when my wife forced me to go get um, colonoscopy. Now I will tell you this, I went to the, I'm here in Cleveland, so I went to the Cleveland Clinic. Nice. The, one of the top five hospitals in the world and did full blood work and stool test and they found nothing. Wait, and you did the colonoscopy there? Uh, no, the, I didn't oh, get okay. to the colonoscopy yet. Just, okay. Blood work and checking number two and right. they found nothing. So when I went for the colonoscopy, I'm like, well, I probably don't have cancer or anything because the blood work's fine and there's nothing they found. And then when I had the colonoscopy, that's when they found the the plum-sized tumor. Had you ever had a colonoscopy before? No. I was 49 at the time. Okay. They've actually lowered the age yes. to 45. Yeah, yeah, for good reason. So tell us about you wake up from the colonoscopy and who gives you that news? You know, this, this is something I talk about in my show. It's definitely like one of those, anyone who's ever had a cancer diagnosis has gone through this. It's definitely like watching the movie where you're sitting there and the doctor's like, I'm sorry to tell you that, you know, 
we found something. So I had the colonoscopy. I woke up at the end of it and I was watching the video. And and I still remember this to this day. Uh, The doctor saying, whoa, that's not supposed to be there. You heard that? Yeah. And I was like, but you're you're anesthetized. So I didn't really comprehend it. Now, given that it was during COVID, was your wife even allowed to be with you in recovery? uh, Yes, she was able to come into the recovery room. Good. And that's when, you know, you're still anesthetized a little bit. And that's when the doctor laid out the speech. And basically what he said was, um, we found a 10 centimeter tumor near your lower colon, about six inches up. Uh, it's about the size of a plum and it's, it's more than likely cancerous, right? And you will need to have surgery in the next couple of weeks, you know, and that's a big shocker, right? It's right. so shocking that you don't even believe it. Right. You know, and, uh, yeah, it was definitely a, a, a tough moment. Um, especially considering the fact that I had done the, uh, all the other tests and nothing showed, which is why it's really important that everybody needs to go get their colonoscopies. Blood work does not catch it. And that stupid commercial you see on TV for, um, I'm not even Col- going to say the, uh, Colo Guard or whatever the Yeah, heck something it is. like that. Guess what? I got that same test done from a lab at the Cleveland Clinic, the number two hospital in the world, and they found nothing. And then a couple of days later, they found a tumor. So that test that you order online for $150 is not a conclusive test, okay? Oh, no. You have to – they have to go in there and go through your colon. They have to. So if you have any symptoms at all, go in. Don't just rely on that test because I'll tell you this right now. If I had not have gone in for the colonoscopy, you and I would not be having this conversation right now. Right. I would be, I would be dead. Right. Was the surgery, how did the surgery go? Talk to us about the surgery. Yeah. So went home, a couple of things along that path uh, that are kind of interesting and part of the story, which are kind of very macabre, uh, funny, but. um, Let's hear them. Yeah. So first of all, the, the, the joke I tell people is it was a great time to get cancer. Um when the pandemic hit, because no one was out doing anything anyway. It's not like you were missing parties, right? You That's true. It's it's like we, everyone was home and you, you didn't feel guilty about not going to people's houses. Like everyone was scared to leave. So it was a good time to get cancer. Um, so telling my kids, I at the time I had a, a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old, both in, a, you know, one coming out of middle school. Anyway, so my ones at college her first year, she was 18, sorry. And we're like, the doctor said, you're going to have the surgery in 10 days. So you can't not go have surgery without telling your kids. Right. Like, you have to be upfront. They're, they're practically adults. So we brought the daughter home from college. And we, and we said, we're going to tell them Saturday morning. So Friday night is always our movie night. So we always watch a movie together, the whole family. We've been doing that since they were little kids. So the middle of the movie, my son goes... Dad, you know uh, the guy Black Panther, the actor? And I go, yeah, Chadwick Boseman. And he goes, oh, he just died. Yeah. And I go, 
you're kidding me. What did he die from? And my son goes, oh, colon cancer. <laughs> I laugh about it now, but I side-eyed my wife, knowing the fact that we were about, in about 12 hours, we were going to drop the fact right. that my father had colon cancer. So it was pretty tough. The next morning was very emotional. But, you know, one of the things you learn, I don't, I don't know if you have children, um, one of the things you try to do for your kids, I mean, you show, you want to be authentic, uh, but you you, you, you want to be strong for them. Right. So it was a very exactly. tough conversation to tell them that I have the same thing that, you know, this guy just died from. Uh, but yeah, 10 days later, I was on a table and, you know, that was another moment that was really tough for me. Um, it was, I was grateful that it went so quick. I didn't have months and months to think about it. You know what right. I mean? Right. Yeah. Uh, but I will tell you this, I had never had major surgery before. And I really, was, no, like big time surgery. Like I had like small stuff, but like, this was like serious business, right? Where they come in. Of course. And, yeah. I had no idea. It's not like mash, right? You know, <laughs> they on this gurney and you're, there's these lights, like it's, there's an operating room that's like this big, giant white room that's clean with giant monitors and seven people going around. Like, it's a big effing deal. And um, when they prepped me and they took me to the operating room, somebody wheeled me there and they left me outside the room. The door. Yeah, and they that forgot happened about, to me once. They forgot about <laughs> it for 22 minutes. And oh watched, my god! Well, I watched the clock above me, and all sure. the young nurses and doctors were shuffling past me to all their surgeries, and I could hear them in there, right? But they were—they forgot that I don't know if they even knew I was out there. They were so busy prepping. So I sat there for twenty-two minutes, and I literally just thought about life, uh, death, you know, how I want change, things I wanted to change you know, if I get out of this, you know, those types of things. But it was, it was a very existential 22 minutes of my life that I'm grateful yeah. for. I really am grateful for because it really made me start thinking about, you know, what's really important to me. Um, and then I had the surgery and I got my butt out of there in three days, no drugs and uh, did six rounds of chemo. Okay. So, after they did the surgery, how did they talk to you about the chemo? Was it one of those things where you must do it or we recommend it or do you know what I right. mean? Because if they get clear margins, then oftentimes you don't need chemo necessarily. Yeah, I had a very analytical doctor, which I appreciated. Um, he was very, um, he just like says things that made sense to me in a way that, that I liked. So he basically said, you don't have to do chemotherapy. I recommend you do very minimum six rounds of it. And the, and what he said was, if you do it, you've got like an 85% chance that the cancer doesn't come back. Okay. And I'm like, I'll, I'll take those odds. He goes, if you don't do the chemotherapy, you're getting rid of that. You, you've got like a you know huge percentage that you, this will come back in the future. So it was a no brainer for me when you put it in those kind of numbers. Right. If you if you knew you had an eighty five percent chance of winning the lottery, you'd you'd go buy a million dollars worth of tickets. 
right? So it's the same thing. So he was very good with that. But it was very tough to hear about it. But again, everything's just a blur at this point because, you know, you, you went through the surgery, you're in trauma from, I got to tell you, and this is something we need to talk about after, the traumatic effects of cancer and COVID and a life midlife crisis all at the same time have been greatly more traumatic to me than the actual cancer. Yes. Yeah. I hear that a lot from survivors. I do. Yeah. I, I really do. Before we dive into that, so talk to us a little bit about um, the chemotherapy, you know, what was the protocol in or outpatient, um, and, and how was it for you? Yeah, so they recommended I do something called Full Fox 5, which is simply they put a port in so they yep. can get in and out. Six treatments every couple weeks, and basically you go in. They pump you full of poison for two or three hours, and then they send you home with a fanny pack with a little pump that pumps it into you for another day or so. And then you come back two days later, and they, the poison's gone. It's in your body, and they take the port, the, the thing out, and they send you anyway, and you come back two weeks later. Do it all over again. How did, how did you respond to the chemotherapy? Uh, it was one of the toughest things I ever did in my life. How it's so? It's hard to explain this. Um, you can taste it. When they pump poison into your body, you can taste it. It's, it's hard to explain. I mean, they're literally injecting your body with, with poison. So it's like, you know, that I'll never forget that taste in my life. Your whole body, it knocks you out in terms of energy. The neuropathy, um, hands and feet, numbness, the coldness, couldn't touch uh, an ice cube, couldn't touch one. It felt like the razor blades going through my fingers. Um, it I've was heard that before. Yeah. cement feet. Uh, it was terrible. <laughs> so much so that by the sixth treatment, I looked at my wife before we went in and I said, do I have to do this? And she's like, yeah. And I started crying. I'm like, I can't do another one of these. I can't, I can't do it. It's, it's terrible. Right. Since that time, I look back on that and I had it pretty easy compared to a lot of people who have gone through this. Like there's a, there's a local celebrity who's a newscaster here in the Cleveland area and her husband is going through the same thing. And I've been following their saga. I don't know them. I just follow them on Facebook. He's on his 120th treatment. I met another guy who was on his 55th treatment and then he died like these are and, and i'm complaining about six right you know and they're having radiation too so you, you get a lot of perspective um you, you do but you i also feel like you shouldn't compare either right well but that's my nature sure. right so i'm a, I, you know i grew up in a working class family and you you, you have a hard work ethic and you work hard for what you want to get and you shouldn't complain. You should be happy and lucky you are where you are in your stage in your life. And in my brain, every time I complain, it comes out as me whining. <laughs> That's just Well, you don't sound that way. You sound well, incre incredibly gracious to But me. in my head, in my head, that's what I sound like. I sound like I'm a, you know, a whiner. Everyone, eh, <laughs> whatever with your story, you know, I've had it way worse. And it's true. I talked to a guy a couple of weeks ago because I do sales calls for a living as you know, and 
I talked to a guy a couple of weeks ago. It wasn't me. It was me a couple of months ago who said, Jim, I'm a disabled veteran quadriplegic. And I said, wow. He, I said, what happened? He goes, I was in Kuwait or Iraq and they blew up our Humvee. And I woke up six weeks later in Walter Reed with uh, no mobility, no legs. And, and, and what he said to me, he said, Jim, there's always somebody who's got it worse than you. Yep. And I was like, damn, he's right. Like, even, him. even Even him. him. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's the so kind of you, way I have to look at it. Did you finish what toward the end of 2020, beginning of 2021? Yeah. So the end of 2020, right around beginning of 2021, I finished the chemo. And I got to tell you, I'm very lucky. I, I um, technically in the clear, right? So colonoscopy every year. And uh, doctors said things look good. So uh, hopefully I will never have it again. Did all of those issues you had before go away? Or oh, my you gosh. You know, here's, you know, when you look back at, you know, because I'm a very analyzing, you know, why, you know, I, I ate a lot of terrible processed food my entire life. You know, but I was an 80s, 70s, 80s kid, the 10th kid removed from or the, the fourth kid removed by 10 years. So in other words, when I was eight, my brothers and sisters were 18, 19. They were in 20. college. Yeah. Right. So my parents were like, he can handle himself, so, <laughs> which was fine. But ultimately it was, oh, if you're hungry, go heat up a Stouffer's meal, a frozen dinner. Oh, right? I, eat, I eat Pop-Tarts for Are you breakfast every morning. That's, I grew up on Stouffer's French, yeah, <laughs> French bread pizza and every kind of processed microwave food. And I'm telling you to this day, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm overweight and I have this complex. But I think, honestly, that stuff just caught up to me after 49 years of eating poorly. Um, and I had stomach issues for the longest time. But here's the great part about it is I'm, I'm healthy now, like in terms of my gut. Like that's I don't, awesome. I, I don't have heart, I haven't had heartburn in two years. I used to have it like once a week, you know, but, but now I drink probiotics and I eat organic food and I, you know, I, um, you know, I don't eat processed food. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's another good thing that came from getting cancer. I don't have heartburn anymore. <laughs> what was your worst moment in all of it? Probably telling the kids that was, that sucked. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was tough. Um, I, I love asking that question because I think the general audience, especially people who've never experienced cancer in any way, shape or form, expect that that worst moment is going to be hearing the words, hearing the diagnosis. No. And oftentimes it's not. No, that it was, it was. The, that was the hardest part was telling them the, the other hardest part of it is um, the burden that it puts on your family. Cause I'm the breadwinner in the family, you know? So I was back at work in five days um, and I never really stopped during chemotherapy. I was working through it. Wow. But the burden of, you know, the care that they have to give you, you know, so that was probably the hardest part about it was acting through how bad it was to, to make everyone look like it was normal and I was fine. But right. then the real hardest part of it now when I'm looking back wasn't the physical, it's it's the mental. Yeah. 
What about your best moment? Best moment? Wow. Being done with the chemo. That that day when I finished and I got to walk out of there was a really triumphant moment. Did they I have did. the whole ring the bell thing? No, they don't. I asked them about that and they said that they only do that when you are five years being clear. That's when you're you're cured. Like you're in remission, but it takes five years till you're cured. And, and somebody said that's when they ring the bell. So I don't know. I never got the bell. I think if you got gypped. Bell, yeah, I think I did. If they had a bell, they didn't. <laughs> What did Forrest Gump say? He says it was a million dollar wound, but I never saw any of that money. The army must have kept that. Oh gosh. <laughs> um, what is one thing that you wish you had known at the very beginning, like right when you got that diagnosis? <sighs> That's a really tough question. That's why I ask it. I wish I knew how hard it was going to be. And I wish I knew how mentally it was going to mess me up. And I uh, would have sought um, therapy or other things much earlier. So did you eventually seek therapy? Yes, uh, but not till like a year later after chemo was over. And most, most recently, actually. Um, but I did therapy, a lot of therapy that I did was through my own device. So I did a lot of, I still doing a lot of writing. So like I said, I've never been more creative since I got cancer. So I, I, I write uh, stuff that I'm passionate about, uh, monologues, shows, heck, I want to write a play. You know, I, I, I take chances that I never would have taken before. Um, and that's another gift that comes from something like this. Good for you. Good for you. What do you think you know, your, your look, kids look, think me, now? Let me follow up on that. There, there's, sure. And we'll get to that. There's PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress right, disorder. Real thing. And I think billions of people have it now because of COVID. Most of people don't even realize they have it. I would but agree there, with that. There's another thing called that's new. It's called PTG, post-traumatic growth. And this is how I've always lived my life anyway. How do you take trauma and turn it into growth? Okay. Um, that's how I viewed cancer, which is how do I take this amazingly traumatic experience and turn it into something else, right? Which I've done with the shows I've written and, you know, the, the steps that move forward. I still got a long, long way to go. But, you know, if you start thinking of things from that perspective, and you come to terms with you can take trauma and grow from it, then ultimately you create a mindset shift, right? Because the, the pandemic created the greatest shift in mindset in human history. Billions of people are walking around thinking, I could literally die any day from somebody yeah. breathing on me. This is not like a thing that could might happen. This Actually, I know people that this happened to. And that snaps something here. So add that and a traumatic experience, what I call life apocalyptic events and COVID and, and everything. If you could start thinking differently, like William James, the founder of modern psychology said, if you can change your mind, you can change your life. Yeah. You know, I have talked about this, but not on the podcast. I, I'm dealing with long, what they call long COVID right now. So all the 
implications, yes, of uh, COVID. The good news is I don't have an active infection. I can't infect anybody and I don't need a booster because I, I have, you know, the natural antibodies. The bad news is I have blood clots all over my body oh. and, and it sucks. It yeah. just sucks yeah. that, that I, you know, have these sort of lasting effects that eventually will go away. It's just taking a really long time. So it's super frustrating. Right. Um, so now you get into the spiral, like maybe are you going to have health issues for the rest of your life? Like, like no one in my family had cancer ever. And then this summer I went into AFib. I was in the hospital for nine days. And what? yeah, yeah. Nine days in the hospital this summer for AFib. And I just had an ablation three or four weeks ago where they burn around the heart so you don't go back into it. But the last couple of years have been fun, to say the least. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. If you could only change one thing about healthcare in the U.S., hmm. what would it be and why? Oh, geez. You don't want me to go off on this rant. Um, I do, but only one thing. That's the hard part. One thing about healthcare? One thing you would change. Because, of course, there's a laundry list of things we all want to change. But if you could only change one. It can't be for profit. Well, I like it's that. It's criminal to me that healthcare is a for-profit enterprise. Everyone on this planet deserves good healthcare. And I'm not going to get political and I'm not going to bring any of that stuff up. But there should be no reason that just because I have insurance, I get to live. And somebody who doesn't gets worse care or dies. That's my opinion. Yeah. Wow. Not everything wow. has to be for profit. I, I like the way you phrase that because I've had people say that they would prefer that the U.S. have single payer or something like that. But I like the way you really drilled down on the nonprofit versus for profit. Yeah. I mean, that's there's really no other way to say that. It's like, you know, certain rights as humans... And one of them should be everybody's entitled to, to live. <laughs> yeah. All right. You ready? Yeah. To light ready. things up with the Thriver Rapid Fire? Let's go. All right. Beach, desert, or mountains? Mountains. Oh, my gosh. I hate the beach. <laughs> beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Oh, Beach Boys. thousand percent. Oh my gosh! I had you pegged for a Rolling Stones guy. Yeah. I'm not a I'm not a Stones fan. I'm more of a Pink Floyd Zeppelin guy. Ah, nice. The Beach okay. Boys are so innovative. The Beatles are amazing too. Come on. All right. What is one word that best describes you? Resilient. And before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Oh my goodness! I'll go Beatles. I'll go across the universe. Great song. Probably the number one. I think it's actually voted the number one Beatles song of all time by Satellite Radio. And what about the last meal you want to eat? Oh, uh, pizza from the local place around my house, which I'm not allowed to eat anymore, by the way, because I have to eat low salt. And my wife might let me have one slice. But uh, yeah, Ramito's Pizza. I'm the same way. I want to eat something that I really can't eat anymore. Oh, right. <laughs> it's my last meal. Why not? That's right. What about the last person or people you want to see? 
oh, my kids and my wife, my family. I do everything for my family. And um, yeah, they are, they are everything to me. And they're the reason I, I go to work and do everything. So how long have you been married? 25 years and together almost 30. So so I'm 51, if that tells you anything. Wow. And what will be the last words you will speak? Oh, gosh, let's go cliche, like, uh, it's been a fun ride, something like that. <laughs> That's not cliched, know. by the way. That's not the most common answer I hear. So. Really? What is the most common answer? I love you. Oh, yeah, that'd be a good one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one, too. Yeah. And aside from Cancer You, what's one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And I also want you to tell people how to get in touch with you. Uh, if you want to see some of my stuff, just go to jimkukrell.com, J-I-M-K-U-K-R-A-L.com. Or just Google me. You'll find you know pages and pages. But on my website, jimkukrell.com, you can find out my shows and all my stuff. Um, a resource? You know, look. When I first got cancer, I did all the the crazy stuff, going to WebMD. Did you do Dr. Google? All that (laughs) stuff, yeah. yeah. Same same thing you do when you have anxiety attack or you break a nail, you go Dr. Google. (laughs) So I never really found any good resources that, like, I had to have that, like, really changed things for me in that regard. Um, Creativity was the greatest resource for me, which was... um, if I had to answer this question in a different way, I would say find what your passion is that's therapeutic to you. I don't care if it's journaling or singing or stand-up painting. comedy, painting. Yeah. I don't care what it is. And it's usually something that you've been putting off for your entire life. You know, I used to be the best ceramic pottery designer in the world 40 years ago, and I gave it up because my family or That's the best resource I can give you is go back to that thing that really means so much to you because it's therapeutic in so many ways. For me, it's writing and creating. Shows. I think that's wonderful yeah. advice. I really do. That's, it, that's It's better than advice. some book or something. I didn't have any book or any kind of thing that just like, I was like, wow. Um, but yeah, just go and create a resource for yourself and, and treat yourself and do what you love. Oh gosh, I love that. Jim, we met in the most auspicious way, but I am so glad that you told me you had had a cancer and that you came on and shared your story today. Well, it's my pleasure. And thank you for what you're doing. Um, It's really interesting. A bunch of the things you learn after you get sick, you know, number one, you learn, well, there's a lot, but a couple of things I'll think about right here. You can't understand the suffering of others until you've suffered yourself, right? So now you, and, and then- once you start like going into the cancer wards and you can exchange glances with other people and they yeah. know you know what they're going through and they know what you're going through right and it becomes tribal in a way yeah it does i would agree with that um and it's therapeutic in a way of knowing that you other people are going through it so what you're doing here is extremely important for that regard because other people need to feel like they can relate to these stories. If you watch this with me and you today, uh, you're watching it now, hopefully 
you picked up one tiny little thing from it that helped you on your journey get through this. And that's why this is really important. So thank you for doing it. Oh, well, you're welcome. Those are my favorite emails to get from people who heard someone else's story, especially if it was the same cancer and they made a change because they heard someone else's story. So isn't that what life is really all about is abundance mindset is like, how do we help other people? Right? Like if you're, if you want to be successful in life, this is something you learn later on in life is like, focus on how do you help other people first? Don't focus on clicks and readers and subscribers and money. Focus on how do I get somebody else to get through their day or help them with the story? And that's what you're doing with this podcast. So I, I really appreciate it. Well, Jim, thank you so much. The pleasure has been all mine. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.